Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Our new sermon series on unanswered prayer continues. What you're about to hear is both instructive and powerful, and hopefully helpful as well as you make your way through life. Here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw. Talking about unanswered prayer. I recently had an experience of unanswered prayer that I really don't want to tell you about. I need to get out in front of this one, though. Every year, our denomination has a national gathering uh, where representatives from churches all across the U.S. and now around the world gather to worship God, to learn more about how to lead, and to sometimes conduct church business. Our denomination is called ECO, a Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. Only Presbyterians would choose a name that long. <laughs> this three-day conference took place in January in Newport Beach in Southern California. That's the Orange County town where I grew up. I went to high school there. The conference took place at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, which is right across the street from my high school rival. I attended Corona Del Mar High School, home of the Fighting Sea Kings. And our main athletic nemesis was Newport Harbor High, which is right across the street from St. Andrews. You probably already know this, but one of the subcultures of Southern California is a beach subculture. Huntington Beach, uh, which is just the next city north from Newport Beach, is nicknamed Surf City, USA. I think there's been a connection between Southern California and Hawaii for a long time, at least in the minds of those who live in California. I think there's a connection. <laughs> So how are my prayers not answered? Well, about halfway through the Eco National Gathering, the organizers hosted a luau. Um, <laughs> tried to host a luau. It actually was quite nice. The food was amazing. Everyone was given a lay to wear. Uh, it was a really fun evening. They even brought in entertainment. Eco invited a halal, a group of local dancers who performed for the conference attenders. I think it might have been a Pacific Islander dance group, but I don't know for sure. Here's where my unanswered prayer comes in. I was minding my own business, <laughs> watching the Halal's performance. I should have known better, but here's what I learned. Sitting in the front row while Halal is performing is not necessarily the greatest idea. Suddenly, one of the female dancers stepped off the stage with her arms extended. And I prayed, please, Lord, don't let her pick me. <laughs> that was my prayer. My prayer went unanswered. <laughs> she pulled me up on the stage. At first, I was just one of many who were brought up on the stage to learn this dance. I didn't realize that that was just the tryout phase of the performance, because I wasn't going to be just part of the performance. I ended up being part of the finale. <laughs> Since we live in a world filled with cell phone cameras, there is apparently video of this moment before we watch this little bit, little bit of my performance. I want to ask forgiveness from the Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities. As you can see, my prayers were not answered. 
or actually my prayer was answered by God, and he said, nope. Boy, you get up there and do the best hula you can. I think that's what he said to me. And that was the best hula I could do, and it wasn't good. Today we're continuing our five-part sermon series on unanswered prayer. My experience with unanswered prayer, or prayer answered in a way that I didn't want, was Manini. When compared to the unanswered prayers some of you have in mind this morning. We've all had experiences of pouring out our heart to God and having him either remain silent or not answer our prayers in the ways that we had hoped. And that is a painful, difficult, excruciating, confounding, and at times angering experience. The question at the heart of this sermon is how will I get through the challenges I'm facing if God is silent or his answer to my prayer is no. Today I'm going to focus on that emotional experience we can have when our prayers go unanswered. How am I going to get through this? In the coming weeks, we'll be exploring some additional questions, questions like, why aren't my prayers working? Or where is God when heaven is silent? And finally, when will my prayers be answered? But this morning, we're going to explore the question, how am I going to get through this? Before I jump into the message, I want to remind you that we have a companion small group Bible study called the Unanswered Prayer Course going on right now. It's, it's led on video by our friend Pete Gregg. This sermon series is built on the themes of that course. So if you want to go deeper, please go on our website and sign up for a small group. You can also explore the Unanswered Prayer course on your own. It's all available to you. All the videos, all the discussion questions are all available for free on our website. And if you'd like to go deeper, um, I encourage you to read Pete Gregg's book, God on Mute, to get the most out of this sermon series and study, uh, in the small group study. So I'm gonna use um, the very helpful outline Pete Gregg uses in this session of the Unanswered Prayer Course to organize my thoughts in this message. There are at least four things that you and I can do when we are experiencing unanswered prayer that will help us get through that difficult experience. And they can be summed up with these four words place, people, prayer, and purpose. Jesus had an experience of an answered prayer that we're going to look at today. It took place on the night that he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. After the last meal that they had together on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus and his disciples retreated to a place that was very important to him. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane which is just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He went to a specific place that was very important to him so he could pray. I want to show you what that garden looks like today. On April 16th, we'll be launching a new course here on Sunday mornings called Drive Through History, the Gospels. This is a virtual tour of the Holy Land. In 2020 and 2021, I offered the companion course for this study. It was called Acts to Revelation, if you remember that. For nine weeks, beginning on April 16th, we'll be exploring the places where the events of the Gospels took place. 
So here's a clip from the episode that includes what happened the night of Jesus' arrest. After the Passover meal was complete, Jesus and his disciples left the borrowed room and went to Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is an olive grove. You can see it right down here. It's by the Kidron Valley on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. It's across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount, which you can see up there. Gethsemane means olive press in Hebrew, and it indicates that this was a commercial oil operation. Olive oil in the ancient world was a precious commodity being used for everything from cooking to cleaning to skin care to lamp fuel. In addition to olive presses, Gethsemane was full of olive trees. In fact, there's still an olive grove preserved here today. The shelter of these trees made it a great place to seek solitude. It appears that Jesus and his disciples would come to a particular spot, a garden area buried within the olive groves. Jesus would take his closest friends here to rest and pray after long days in the temple complex. But this time it was different. Jesus was overwhelmed with anxiety. The Gospel of Matthew says that he told Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Matthew 26, 38. The Garden of Gethsemane, here at the foot of the Mount of Olives, is now protected by the walled grounds of the Church of All Nations, also known as the Church of the Agony. It's a peaceful garden among a grove of ancient olive trees, looking back at the eastern wall of the city of Jerusalem. It's here that the Gospel of Luke says Jesus knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke 22, 42 through 44. Never before had Jesus' closest disciples heard such language from their teacher, and never before had they seen Jesus in such anguish. The scripture even goes on to tell us that Jesus sweated drops of blood. Now today, the medical community calls this very rare condition hematidrosis, or blood sweat, where the blood oozes from the forehead, or the tear ducts, the nose, or the nails. It can be caused by severe distress, and obviously, Jesus was in severe distress. Gethsemane, the name of the olive grove itself, even contributes to the agony of the scene. Hebrew gat means press and shemen means oil. It was as if Jesus' sorrow was so intense that he was being pressed, squeezed, crushed under the weight of a huge olive press. Jesus fully understood everything that was about to transpire. And his prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, was such an important moment in time. Some have said that that was the point that the entire battle was won. The final point of resolve to see his mission through to the end. No turning back. Jesus understood his identity. 
he understood his destiny. Jesus himself would be the final Passover lamb that was to be slain. So drive through history of the Gospels begins on April 16th at either 9.30 or at 11.30. Identical classes. You can sign up online. Just go to the news section of our website. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of Mark's version of what happened that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, verses 32 to 38. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How am I going to get through this? Have you ever asked that question? Are you asking that question this morning? How am I going to get through this? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prayed, and as he did, he experienced extreme psychological and emotional pressures as he wrestled with God the Father and God's will for his life. What about you? Are you going through an extremely difficult time in your life right now? If you are, here's what I want to confidently affirm to you today. Jesus knows what it is like to suffer. Jesus knows what it is like to experience unanswered prayer or to hear his father say no. As we experience unanswered prayer, what can we learn from Jesus as we watch him pray in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion? If you're fearful or overwhelmed right now, I want to encourage all of us to do what we see Jesus do. If at all possible, follow his example. This is how we can get through a very difficult season. First, Jesus went to a place that meant a great deal to him. He prayed in a place where he felt at home. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he met with his heavenly father. Second, he brought his friends with him. He did not want to be alone. I love that. That is mind-boggling. Here is Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who's known intimacy with God the Father for eternity, and yet he wanted to be with his friends. If Jesus needed his friends to be with him in his time of suffering, you and I need our closest companions to be with us in our times of distress. Listen what he says to his friends. Jesus tells his closest companions, my soul is overwhelmed with grief to the point of 
death. Jesus is honest. He's transparent with his friends. He shares with them what he is feeling, and he asks for their support as he pours out his heart to his heavenly Father. So in times of trouble, find a place of prayer where you can meet with God. Be truthful with your friends about what you are going through. Take them with you on the journey, and then pray. Jesus prays a very simple and honest prayer. Abba, Father, he says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Here's Jesus moving towards the end of his earthly life, and he addresses God in his anguish, using a word that might have been the very first word that he ever learned to say. Abba, Daddy. Of course, his first word could have been ima, which means his Aramaic for mother. But here in his moment of greatest distress, Jesus uses this intimate family word to cry out to his father. This is the only time in the New Testament in which Jesus addresses Yahweh as Abba. And he's doing that in his moment of greatest distress. Mark probably wrote his gospel in Greek, and yet when he translates When he writes this prayer, he doesn't translate it into Greek. He quotes Jesus in what was probably Jesus' first language. Jesus starts his prayer with Abba. That's a word of love, a word that affirms that you're not alone, but that you belong to others. It is a word that speaks of closeness and intimacy. I think the way the prayer begins is the most important part of the prayer. That word Abba tells us everything we need to know about how Jesus made it through his experience of unanswered prayer. Listen to what Pete Gregg writes in his book, God on Mute. Jesus consistently taught his followers that the key to powerful praying was to simply understand that the one to whom they were praying was their father in heaven. He taught the disciples to begin their prayers, our Father. Jesus addressed the most desperate prayers of his life to the one he knew as Abba. Jesus knew that his heavenly Father loved him, and that gave him strength to endure the suffering that was ahead for him. That doesn't mean that Jesus skated through his experience of wrestling with God's will or his life was just serene as he endured the physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual suffering of taking upon himself the sins of the world, Jesus suffered. We see that suffering in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in such anguish that great drops of blood-tinged sweat dripped from his skin. In The first of his Narnia Chronicles, a book called The Magician's Nephew, which is the prequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis tells the story of a boy named Diggory, whose mother is dying. When Diggory first meets the great lion, Aslan, the Christ figure in those stories, Diggory gathers all the courage he could muster and asks the lion, "May may I please, will you... Give me some magic fruit of this country to make mother well. 
Jerry's mom is dying and begs Aslan to give him something he can give to his mother to save her. That is a prayer of desperation. I prayed a few of those prayers just a little over a year ago, as I learned on Sunday morning while I was here at the church that my mom had been rushed to the emergency room in California. I was 2,500 miles away, and all I could do was try and comfort my family over the phone and to pray. I pleaded with God to save my mom, as Diggory had prayed. And the answer to my prayers was, no, Tim, your mom is coming home to me. In C.S. Lewis's story, the first time Diggory asked Aslan for help, the great lion appears to ignore the request completely. Pete Gregg writes, when God is silent in response to our deepest and most desperate prayers, saying neither yes with a miracle or no with a clear sign that would at least let us know that he had heard us, it is natural to conclude that God doesn't care. When we experience unanswered prayer, we can wonder these two things. Does God really care about me or my loved one or the desperate situation my friends are in? And if he does care, can he do anything about the situation? Do you really care for me, God? Do you really love that person or that community? And if you do, are you able or willing to do something to fix the situation? Listen again to Jesus' prayer. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the first few words of Jesus' prayer, he tells us what he knows to be true about those two questions. Do you love me? And can you do anything about what concerns me? When he prays Abba, he affirms that he trusts the love God has for him. And when he prays everything is possible for you, Jesus is stating with absolute confidence that God is able to do anything. In C.S. Lewis's story, The Magician's Nephew, Diggory discovers that Aslan loves him. Listen to C.S. Lewis. But a little while later, Diggory dares to ask Aslan for help again. He thought of his mother, and he thought of the great hopes he had, and how they were all dying away, and a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes, and he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. There were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. Diggory's prayer remains unanswered, but everything has changed. Now he knows that the great lion truly cared for him. Aslan joined Diggory in his suffering, and Jesus joins us in ours. When I pray, I want God to airlift me out of the situation I'm in. 
Get me out of here. And sometimes he does. But more often than not, he doesn't rescue me from the challenges. He parachutes into my challenges and walks with me through the difficulties. Whenever we bring a great challenge to God in prayer, and when we're pleading with God to help us or heal someone we love or to repair a relationship or to, to receive much-needed employment, and yet God remains silent, we may wrongly assume that God is unmoved. We think maybe he doesn't care. Here's what C.S. Lewis is encouraging us to understand. As long as our eyes remain downcast, we may be missing some very important information. When in our pain and shame we think we can't or dare not lift our gaze to God, we will miss something very important. But if we find the courage to look up, we will find God's face bent down near our own. And wonder of wonders, great shining tears are in his eyes. When Jesus came to be with his friends Martha and Mary, who were grieving the death of their brother Lazarus, Jesus met these two sisters. And Martha confronted Jesus on the outskirts of town. I think she was mad. Lord, she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where have you been? What took you so long to get here? I thought you cared about us, but look at what's happened. Our brother is dead, and he's been in the tomb for four days. I love Martha. She speaks her mind. She shares her emotions. She gives voice to her pain. She's angry. Let's take a quick look at that story from John chapter 11. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Can you feel the pain of the loss of her brother? in the words of Martha. What she says on the one hand is a great affirmation of faith and confidence in Jesus. And the other hand, an expression of her disappointment and her loss. She's hurt and maybe even angry. Notice what Jesus does not do. He doesn't try to change her feelings. Jesus allows Martha to feel what she's feeling. The pain is real and Martha is allowed to express it. To Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. In the middle of her pain, Jesus makes a remarkable promise to her. Jesus gently reminds her of the hope of the resurrection on the last day. And then he speaks to her pain. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, death is not the last word. That person goes through the grave to eternal life. I am the life 
points to the heart of Jesus' incredible good word to the world. So the pain that Martha is feeling is met with a promise that is every real, every bit as real as the pain she's experiencing. Martha then goes and gets her sister, Mary. She wants Mary to spend time with Jesus, and Jesus wants to spend time with her. After Jesus' conversation with Mary, the most remarkable, unexpected thing happens. Verse 32, when Mary came where Jesus was and said to him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And now the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. John tells us that Jesus begins to cry. That verb means to quietly shed tears. Look at this remarkable moment. Here we see the living God, incarnate in Jesus Christ, crying. He cries with us for as long as we have tears. Here is the compassionate God who shares our pain, who shares in our losses. Now, the revelation of God's love, the tears in his eyes may not solve any of our intellectual questions about why he leaves a particular prayer unanswered. But I think it does touch something that may be even deeper than our intellectual questions. We need to know that what we are going through and the way that we are feeling matters to God. We need to know that our requests have been heard, and we need to know that God is the one in whom we have placed our hope, that he is near and that he truly cares. So part of the answer to the question, how am I going to get through this, is simply this. We must grow in our ability to trust that God loves us. When God is silent or does not answer my prayers as I had hoped he would, will I trust him? In his anguish, Jesus went to a specific place to pray. He brought his friends for encouragement and support, and he prayed, and he remembered that his heavenly Father loved him and that he could be trusted. The prayer Jesus prays in the garden affirmed his confidence in a God who loved him and that God could do anything that he and his wisdom chooses to do. And then in his prayer, Jesus tells his heavenly father what he desires. Take this cup from me. I don't want to drink it. Jesus is honest with God. Jesus tells his father what he wants him to do. And the father's response is, I have something else I need you to do. I have a different path for you to walk. That is why I cannot rescue you from this situation. You must walk through it in order for the world to be saved. On the cross, Jesus will experience the absence of his father, and he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced that separation from God so that you and I never have to go through that. In that unanswered prayer, Jesus found his ultimate purpose. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How am I going to get through this? As we think about finding purpose in the middle of unanswered prayer, I want us to be aware of how difficult that sometimes is. This may not be the right moment for you to look for purpose in the midst of the suffering and the loss that you're experiencing right now. Now may be the time for grieving. And when you're ready, and that may be some time from now, but when you're ready, God just might have a new calling, a new or renewed purpose for your life that can actually grow out of that unanswered prayer. I have learned a lot from other followers of Jesus, particularly my friends around the world who have experienced ongoing, relentless suffering and yet still believe that God loves them. I met with Dr. I met, um, Dr. Ivan Rusian, who's the president of the Ukrainian Evangelical Seminary in Kyiv. Before the Russian Federation attacked Ukraine, he, he lived with his wife in Bucha, a suburb of the capital city of Kyiv. The atrocities that took place in Bucha were some of the first horrific images to be seen by the world. Ivan's home was looted by Russian soldiers. Six rockets hit the buildings of the seminary he leads. Students lost their lives. Dr. Russian spoke at the Eco-National Gathering in California in January. Here is a man who loves God more, even though he has suffered greatly, and many of his prayers have gone unanswered. I'd like you to hear a few of his thoughts in his own words. I'm going to show you a brief excerpt from a sermon he gave at the Village Church in Southern California while he was there. He's reflecting on the suffering he and his people are experiencing, and he is sharing something he has discovered. In the midst of his pain, he has found renewed purpose. I'm going to show you a few minutes from the beginning of that message and then let him tell you what he has learned about finding purpose in the midst of unanswered prayers. Yvonne is reflecting on the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, as you'll remember, is a story of suffering. It is my privilege to worship God today with you. And uh, there are several moments in my life when I want Pentecost to repeat. Today is the one. It would be great if I would have a gift of different tongues and I would speak fluent English and you would understand everything I said. So you will, you will suffer a little bit with my English, but don't worry, I practice it a little bit with the previous people. So I should, I should do better a little bit. After 11 months of the war, yes, we can smile. But we smile because we cried out all of our tears. And we smile, and this is for us like a way of protest, like a way of demonstrating that we have hope. We learn in this situation that it is very important for the church to have the same wounds and scars our society has. When we are going in the same, the same road that our society goes, of course, as a church, we believe we have different destination, but we want to be in the midst. 
I thought that people are looking for answers where God is, why this is happening. Having hundreds and hundreds of discussions with people that suffered from the war, lost the loved ones, I realized that people are not looking for answers. People are looking for our presence with them. And you know, when you have the same scars, you become authentic. So when I speak with people, I, I understand what does it mean when your apartment was looted. When Russians had party in your apartment, I know what does it mean when your campus is hit by six missiles. I know what does it mean because our seminary was hit. I know what does it mean to run a funeral for your graduate who was murdered, who, has, who had five bullets in his head. I know what does it mean. And you know, this knowledge, this experience does not prompt me to speak a lot. Sometimes and most often, this prompts me to be silent. I don't know why this is happening, but I know how it pain, and I am here with you. It is very important for the church to be in the midst of suffering. I developed before, I, I had this idea that God is present where everything is beautiful. For sure, God is present in California. Oh, when we are traveling around, oh, God is everywhere. <laughs> when you have rockets flying on your head, literally, you may think that, oh, God is in California, not in Ukraine. But when you reread the Bible, you, you can notice that God always show up where a problem is. This is why Jesus incarnated to earth. He was with us where a problem was, and he went to the cross. God always shows up wherever the problem is. That from a man who is in the middle of a war. God always shows up where the problem is. And that's true for your situation today as well. God may be silent. God may say no or not yet to your prayers but he is present with you and he loves you. How am I going to get through this experience? What do we learn from Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? Have a place where you can meet with God. Do not go through the challenges you're facing by yourself. Bring those who are important to you. Go with friends and loved ones. Ask for their support. Remember that you are loved by a God who can do anything. He may not rescue you from the situation you're dreading, but he will be with you in the middle of it. Jesus wrestled with God and he eventually said, not what I want, but what you want. That is what I want to do. One of the things that struck me about Dr. Rissian is that somehow in the midst of his unanswered prayers, he found purpose. This gifted Bible scholar did not have answers to his own questions about the suffering he and his people were experiencing. 
But even as many of his questions remain unanswered, he trusts that God is indeed a good God who loves him. He trusts that. And that makes it possible for him to discover a new purpose for his life. He is finding purpose in the midst of suffering in spite of unanswered questions and unanswered prayers. Yvonne discovered that God was with him and so he decided to go and be with others. He wanted them to know that even when their prayers go unanswered, that they were not alone. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would um, be ministering to each person here. Persons watching online who are in very difficult, painful situations. Come, Holy Spirit, reveal your heart of love to them once again. Give them courage and give them peace as they continue to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk or to pray with someone after the service, members of our prayer team would be available in the back corner. They'd be happy to talk and to pray with you. If you're online, just uh, request prayer in the chat area and someone will be joining you online to pray with you. Father, not my will, but yours be done. May that be true. Maybe what we say this week. As we continue to pray, bring our lives to Christ and to say, use us however you want to use us. And now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, amen. We never really know the entire picture, God's view of things. But we can rest assured in his love, care, and concern. And we can and should lean on our family and close friends during our difficult times. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Pres sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Join First Pres for church. We meet in person and online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at The Vine in Kaka'ako, or online on our websites. And remember, when you visit the website, check out the news page to keep up with everything that's happening at First Press. You can also sign up for emails, listen to or watch sermons, and lots more. And for the latest info on Pastor Dan's retirement, find the Our Next Season page on the website. And of course, if there's anything First Press can do for you, reach out through the websites or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Press, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. 
This sermon podcast is copyright 2023 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.